0: Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience revelatory teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price.
1: Well, it is Tuesday night. We have just had a wonderful discussion. We went through the calendar and found out that it's not Monday or Thursday, but it is actually Tuesday night. So that means that it is ABCs of Apostleship Discipling Apostolic Christians. Want to talk to you tonight again about it. You know, every so often I do a review and a catch-up and all of that, because I get new viewers, and some of you all caught me brandy new and it didn't stick, and that's okay, because I have to keep handling every day, too. So tonight, we're going to do a uh, recap so that we understand what we're talking about when we say apostolic Christians, apostolic Christianity, and we're going to talk about it from a little bit of a different point, a different vantage point, if you will. Before I get started, though, we're going to talk, say hi to the kids. Hi, kids. Hallelujah. I'm so excited. My God, I can't even tell you how much I'm excited about God and how it's I mean, really excited by the things that God has done and what he's making happen. I just decided I was going to fall in love with him this morning, so I've just been doing that all day long, just falling in love with God because of his goodness, thanking him because of his patience and his mercy, his grace, that just never fails. I mean, the goodness. And one thing I'm going to teach you all, not sure when, because, you know, if I say things, you guys will start writing me and counting on you know how that goes. But one day, we're going to learn the truth about God's virtues. Because what we think of virtues and what God calls virtue, two different things. But then, you know, so much of that is how it is with us in this world. Before we get started, hi, kids. All of you all, I pray for my children. I pray for your peace in school. I pray for favor with your teachers. I pray for favor with your friends in your schoolyard. I cover you with the blood of the Lamb. And I cover you with my apostleship that you may have peace Every day you go to school that you'll find your work easy. I take the fog off of your mind. I give you clarity and total recall so that you can go forward. Forgive me, folks, but I got the camera people lifting up their hands saying I'll have some of that so that you'll go forward in God's grace and mercy, and that the light of Jesus Christ will not only shine on you, but it will be appealing and not offensive in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, intercessors are going to have to start praying the opposite of what we're getting. Instead of praying, Lord, don't let them hate us, Lord. Compel them to love us. Compel them to be at peace. Lord, stir up your spirit on us. God, I thank you for the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the love. Emit the love of God. God, radiate your love through me. Radiate your life. Radiate your peace radiate your appeal. Jesus is an attractive man. Remember the Bible says he's a desire of all nations. That's pretty good. You know, since we got a lot of nations who claim they hate him, that's because they haven't met him, they haven't seen him. But when they encounter him and meet the maker, the one who owns their soul, who has a code to their soul, and the day of their life and death in his hands, they gonna love him because he is appealing. God's, because God's kingdom is based on love. God's world is based on us. And I don't mean, you know, what we can, you know, we, we, we call lust love, you know what I mean? And then we call, you know, accepted fondness love. You know, some of you, all, you don't really love your neighbor, you just fond them. You just don't. Because the things we do to our neighbors, even if we are violent, even if we are criminal, even if we are abusive or futil, brutal, we still do. Our neighbor does not ask us for a ride to work. I I'm not going your way, you know? You want to hold us to a standard. Let's talk about what that love looks like. That neighbor, does not ask you to help them out in the jam. And if they ask you more than three times, they're infringing on your privacy. They're invading your personal space and your personal peace. So, you know, when you start telling, like when they start saying, well, you know, we're supposed to love our neighbors. I want you to tell me how you love yours. See, y'all need to start asking these people some questions. So when's the last thing you did to love your neighbor? You know, like cut them off, roll rage, give them the finger when, it's, when you pass your on. That's love. All right? Cuss them out. And, and anytime you meet a person who cusses all the time, they ain't no neighborly and That's you too vulgar. Vulgarity, bitter bit water can't come out of the same fountain. So there you go. So when you do that, now why am I on there? Because somebody needs that. Somebody, you know, we've been, been bashed on that love that neighbor thing. They don't love us. When are you going to start? Because, you know, neighbor is neighbor. We stand in the same space. I'm your neighbor. So you need to be loving on me and I need to be loving on you, which means you ought not be calling me names and I ought not to be wishing you harm. See how it works out? See, but we, I'm telling you that this is the year, and we're going forward. I know Jesus is is on this. is hot on it. This is the year that we're going to stop running scared. We're going to stop backing up. We're going to stop bowing cowards. We're going to stop studying. Blip, 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 blip. No, we're not going to do that. You're not going to have no fake tongues that are covered in fear. We're not doing that. We are going to be bold. You know, the Bible said the righteous are bold as a lion. Did you know that? The Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. Which means When you bold, you are righteous. And when you are afraid, well, dot, dot, dot. We'll just say dot, dot, dot. In any event, we're going to talk about it. You know, apostolic Christianity is a different kind of Christian. Because remember, these were some different Christians. These were Christians that faced off with stuff. They went home hiding out. They didn't have a wonderful church edifices to hide in, so they had to face their devils and face their adversaries. And um, sometimes they're the same, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes your adversary is not a devil, at least not directly. And so I want to talk about that because we have a great challenge ahead of us. We have a great trust that's been given to us and a major responsibility to bring this thing back under the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, they may be mad at the evangelicals, but they just don't know about us yet. We're just different. We're just a different breed of Christians. As a matter of fact, I've been teaching that in my church, that, that you know, we are a different breed of Christians. We might all be forgotten, but we're not all the same breed. You know, all not all humans. We all may have blood. We all may have red blood. Isn't that wonderful? We all have blood. We all have red blood. All our red blood comes from the death. Well, how many of you know No two people got the same blood? Mm. I don't know about you, but that's exciting, isn't <laughs> it? I think it's exciting, no two people have the same blood, so that means that those variances serve God's purpose in some way, and that we need to expect variances, I mean, when they talk about no two people have the same perspiration, the same body waste, that is, I mean, that's scary, somebody who can finite people that well within groups and classes, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, our God is an awesome God, so we're going to talk about it tonight, Apostolic Christianity. What are we saying? What are we saying? Well, we're going to get there in a moment, but i want to have a roll call and then I'm going to read from your book. I know you thought I gave up this book, but I didn't. I didn't. Roll call. Did the roll call in? Anybody sign on yet? Because if not, I'm going on. Uh-huh. We have some who signed on and there's a slight
0: delay. I
1: understand. Really? They're not going to sign? Yeah, I know. What's that all about? Uh-huh. Okay, well, you know,
0: Facebook Billy is longer than Periscope. Was. But, anyway, Gainesville, Florida. Hey!
1: De-Land, Deland, Deland, Florida? D. D-
0: what is it? D-E-L-A-N-D. Okay,
1: why don't you all just type it in phonetically. Sure we'll get that. it right. In- phonetic. In- yeah, give us some phonetic spelling. Aurelia, Canada. Oh, oh, hi, Canada. You know I love Canada. Yes. I, I really do. I love the people of God, but I just like these people who just, you know, they're just pressing through from other countries, and I just love knowing that we're reaching that far. I'll welcome you. Canada, God bless you. Okay, who else is next?
0: All right, uh, Boucher City, Louisiana. Ah, uh, my family. Co- uh, Columbus, Ohio. Ah, Columbus. Omaha, Nebraska.
1: Oklahoma. Home base.
0: Portland, Oregon. Sam. The Browns. Boom. You know, we just, we, we just say, you know, we just
1: call them the Boom the Browns. The
0: Boom Browns.
1: From <laughs> <laughs> the Boom Browns.
0: Maryland is in the house. Hey. Uh, by the Ocean, Miss You, King, uh, Kingland, Georgia. <laughs> oh, that's
1: not nice. It's oh, <laughs> no, uh-uh, no that. that's, my that's not nice. Yeah. That's all right. I'll get over it. We got water in, in Oklahoma. I mean, we have to all it in sometimes, but we got water. <laughs> we actually
0: do have a lot of
1: water. I know. More than people imagine. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Um, Elmira, New York. Yes. California. Charlotte, North Carolina. Ooh, look at my folks.
1: Mm-hmm. Charlotte, bless you, Charlotte. Bless the land. And you know what, Charlotte, I don't know why, but I'm praying for your mayor tonight. I'm asking God to cover your mayor with the blood of my, protect your mayor, and surround with everything that will cause success and prosperity. And to give you, the, listen, so that your city will have a peace of God. I'm asking that God visit your mayor because there's something God wants to do in your city, thus says the Holy Ghost. Well, South Africa, hey, Clary, hi, hi, South Africa. You know, I need Africa. To, you know, come on now. They always set me up on Facebook. I need to know they sent you in. Correct. Clarice
0: says, "Love your energy and spirit."
1: Ah, hallelujah. Okay. That. And I don't bottle it. It's so great. Okay, you smell that? And uh, Betty, who you just pray for our mayor, she said, "Thank you." Bless your Betty. Things are going well, and they're going to get better still. Scott, Right. St. Louis in the house. Woo. New Jersey. hometown. Monroe, Connecticut. Right. East Ohio, Maryland, Atlanta,
0: Georgia, Fairborn, Atlanta, New Jersey, Tennessee, Wisconsin, San Antonio, Texas, mm. Houston, Texas, Eastern Pennsylvania, New Hope, Alabama,
1: Woo. Western Australia, Hold on. Hi Australia. <laughs> come on, come yeah.
0: on, yeah, I like to do this. You know how to start at the down Come on, dude. We got a love on the
1: down end. Reflection, hallelujah. Love on down I like those people. Hallelujah. Toronto, Canada. Woo, again. You see? All the, all the people around North the world. England. No, tell me not. Hey, let London, I'm going to bless you because I know you're losing sleep to watch me. So bless you with fresh energy. Great night's sleep. If you get two hours, I demand they turn into eight and you wake up revived and quickened like never before. And to or even to you too, Australia, because i know a little bit of a long distance. Oh, hallelujah. We have the Bahamas. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Bahamas. I know we're already. One because I'm reading from there tonight, and I wanted to read from there because I want to make sure we remember why we're doing Tuesday nights, which is to disciple apostolic Christians. Hallelujah! Around the world, Christian superior premise is the title, the head of this section. If you are a Christian, by now you know that being one sets you in an unusual class, spiritually speaking, when it comes to religion and worship. Yeah, and if we haven't figured it out from this last election season, oh, hallelujah, if it wasn't for the Lord on my side, glory to God. Anyway, back, there was a time when that class was celebrated, but now it is often condemned. If you are not trying to conform your new creation redemption to the religions of this world, you are learning every day that belonging to Christ is not without its scuffles or adversaries. We, the man, we put a man in the White House and say he liked Jesus, and ever since then, all hell been trying to cut up. Now, when when, when hell was in the White House, when he wasn't in the White House, that was something else. Living in this world as not of it proves that Christianity's markers are unlike those from any other religion. The reason is not. The reason has to do with six identifiers that define and distinguish every religion. They are, number one, each religion's founder. Number two, the invisible power that converted and that the founder. Number three, the source and cause of the faith of religion spread. Number four, the location that religious uh, excuse me, the, the location that birthed a particular is start escapes it, or is rejected by many of its inhabitants. Attempting to separate how the world began from the one that began it keeps the cycle of questions and speculations that puzzles most human secrets going around and around and around. That frustrating cycle carries over to those attempting to comprehend Christianity because disclose our faith is the real deal, because to accept in the beginning God is to accept in the beginning was the Word, and that the Word became flesh. Based on these two premises, hallelujah, I'm going somewhere, the main dynamic that distinguishes our faith is its most compelling one, its origin. Christianity began before this world was made, and this world was made by Christianity's founder, and the two are one and the same. And it's interesting The people think, well, you know, well, how is it that people don't know that God deliberately shut everybody into, the, into ignorance concerning him? And the reason he did it, I know it's hard for us to gather, but Romans says it, you know, Romans 3 said he shut up. The whole earth, everything was shut up under ignorance. He closed everybody up, locked up into sin and righteousness. God did not want people to be born naturally, people who were born naturally to come into the planet knowing him because their nature was not the nature of their creator. People are not born with the nature of the creator. Thus, he wanted to make sure that when people were born and were able to make the decision, they would choose God, and they would choose him voluntarily, and then from the moment of their choice, they would prove they meant what they said. All that we go through as Christians, all of our texts, all of our... Trials and tribulations, all of our setbacks and setups and frustrations are all to prove that this world does not hold anything that can make us break from Christ. You know, we were talking at our meeting on Sunday. Do you remember, Ashley, our our leadership meeting? And I said, I had to come to a place in God where I said, God, we're not going to break up over a house. We're not breaking up over a car. We're not breaking up over a man, over a woman, over anything that was made of this world because it's all clay, and it's all going to go back to the dust. And I have to spend forever trying to explain to myself why I blew God off for a car or a job or anything in this world since everything in it is temporal and meant to be. And I had to find that place in my affections, and my passion for the Lord where I could say, we're not breaking up over this. That's how I cut off a lot of trials, but we're not going to break up over this. You know? I told God, I told, and I said to them, God and I had this conversation. I said, I'm telling you, there is not one thing in this world that's going to make me say, God, I quit you. Not one. Because you know what? I made a choice, and I didn't make that choice blind. Some people may have been children, and you might need some tests and carrying on. But those of us who came to Christ later, we know what the world offers, and we know how we can see what those deities are, how they can't deliver. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I say to you, you've got to come to a place where your passion for Christ becomes permanent and not passing. See, because we have those passing moments where we be, Lord, I love you for God I live and for God I die. And you go out there and find a flat tire you may mad God. It didn't take long because you had a passing passion. But when your passion for God is real, he can do with you like he did with Job. He can tell Satan, yeah, go on and try him, because at the end of all that I let you do, he's still going to love me, and I'm going to bless him twice as much so that you will never be able to breach his hedge again in any life. You won't be able to breach the hedge of his children. You won't be able to breach the hedge of his children's children, because that was the question. The problem was, if you take down his hedge, and your head, your head just complies with a lot of things, but if you take down his head, he'll curse you because he's only blessing you, he's only loving you because of what you do for him. But as soon as he has you stop doing good for him, he's going to hate you. He's going to turn on you. He's going to sell you out, and he's going to turn and become my project and my product. See, the whole job test was to see who Joe would belong to at the end of the trial. So the, the, these two powers had a contest, but the prize, the trophy, was Joe. Huh. See, you didn't think about that. And so the trophy was Joe. And so when God, when, when God said, oh, hey, go ahead, do what you need to do, and he did that to let us know that God himself does not just sit there and throw stuff at us, but we always have an adversary who's moving about as a roaring lion to see whom we may devour. Now, what was Job? I know we think Job was this little guy, but I always teach this, and I don't know, I have some teachings on it, I can't tell you where they are, but we've taught on it on several occasions where Job was, a, was literally a world power at the time. So these these politicians that you don't think you want to pray, you need to pray for them because I'm telling you, Job was the world power and the idea was to get Job to start, stop rendering the Almighty's judgments and justice and begin to render Satan. That was the whole contest. I know y'all thought it was something else. It wasn't. It was just come on. Because Job, when you read what Job said, he said, I, I rendered judgment. I, I, I held up the cause of the power. I did not, you know, take a bribe. All of that, so that's language of a leader. That's language of a ruler. That's not the language of some God who's sitting the clock every day. So you need to understand the trial that God is putting you through or uh, uh, allowing you to go through is to prove to the world. Now, God knows. The Bible says the Lord knows those that His." But nobody's going to know it unless you depart from iniquity. So God may know it, but nobody else will. So the whole test was when, because Satan was fully able to restore Job as well. But he wanted to restore him as his servant. So God let the trial go on. And then when it was over, he said, all right, God, you know, Jesus, enough of this. And he decides he's restoring him. And he, he gave him twice as much as what he lost. Because he had the portion that he earned that he he had from being faithful, and then the per, the portion that he had for not being faithless. and that double portion assured that job would never have to face that kind of crazy in his life again. So a lot of times we think the double portion comes because we just hung tough. No no. You know, a lot of people go through trials and land with God and tell God, I'm not doing this again, and I'm never doing that, and you get a whole grocery list of how you're going to protect yourself from this again. And so if you're going to use your own protection, God's not going to give you the double portion. I don't know who, else, who I'm prophesying to right now, but bless you. Bless, bless, bless you. Can I bless you? I'm going to have some water. I'll sip. So let's talk about Apostolic Christianity. Let me find the wires. You know, somebody did it for me this time. This is great. Close it, and we're gonna we're gonna put uh, bang. Yes. Ready? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got it. I'm not to help. I can do <laughs> 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 They don't trust me, guys because I, I, I've been known to kind of dismember a few things. You know? <laughs> I've been known.
0: Get in the
1: kingdom. Yeah, I put, you know, I dismember things, and so they won't, they always want to catch me before I go, because they know I'm persistent. I'll just so it's not working. Anyway, let's be God. Are we ready? Tonight you get a class. You know, I don't do classes with the same extent, because, well, it was a lot of class. But anyhow, Apostolic Christianity. Heaven's gold deposited in your soul. If you look at the bottom of the book, it says apostolic Christians have determined his first breed predate the church on earth. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to keep saying it. Apostolic Christians, the Christians born from apostles, Christians born from the first apostles, the founding apostles, the originating apostles, are the first type of Christian to hit the planet. All Christians, after that model, hallelujah, are apostolic. Our kids, it's your pastor that leads you to the Lord. Our kids, it's your evangelist. It is by the word that these apostles left us in the planet that we are born again. Peter says that we are born again by the incorruptible, imperishable, and all the translations say immortal, eternal, uh, irreversible word of God. So the word of God, the interesting thing about God, God's children is God does not need to use a male and a female to birth his kids. As a matter of fact, in areas where God has no evangelist or nobody to preach the gospel, Jesus shows up or he sends an angel. And, and if Jesus shows up, it's because he's pretty much going to make that person an apostle because he can send an angel to do that. Angel so You need to get saved. Jesus can send a dream. He doesn't even have to use any staff. Depending on what he plans to do and to use it. So, if Jesus takes time out to step up to you at the center and tell you you're going to get saved, you better know he has a big call. And if you are one of his adversaries, you better look for a Pauline call. uh, Because life is fair. Didn't I say that nicely with my name? Yes. Life is fair. Here's the next one. Are you ready? Okay, so what is apostolic Christianity? Answer, organic Christianity. We're going to go through this, organic Christianity. Organic, and in today's time where we don't know what a real Christian is, look like, sound like, smell like, talk like, walk like, or act like, we need to understand organic. The the apostles stayed with the pure word of God. They were very cautious about culture. So look at your screen and watch what's happening here. All right, number one. Organic Christianity, pure diamond, in the rocks, pollutant-free, uncut, unmixed, God-preserved, biblically pure, culture-free. That is organic Christianity. Let's go through that again. Pollutant-free, uncut. Now you know, you might say, I don't know what pollutant free. Well, when they when they tell you the news media says that we have a lot of pollution in the air, what does that mean? Then we understand pollution in the air. We should help us understand pollution in the saints. In a perfect world. So polluted saints are like polluted air. And cut, meaning like this diamond that you see on the screen. Totally not cut, not handled, polished. But the best burn out of it, unmixed, let me go back, unmixed. In other words, we got a lot of gospel mixed with a lot of things. As a matter of fact, they had whole conferences on how to mix Christianity with other religions and to make Jesus a part of the fallen world deity pantheon. See, all of those deities that the world worships, they reproduce by having sex with their uh, the women are the creature. Well, it has to be the women because well, the men ain't gonna do nothing. You they want that. But anyway, they reproduce through sex and the act of sex. Jesus did not reproduce us that way. God did not even do that with marriage. He dropped a sperm in her womb. Now a lot of folks say, "I just don't know how God can do that." I don't know how you question that when you've been fertile for 19 years and all of a sudden you're pregnant. God dropped the sperm, and then He gave He gave a sperm to your husband and an egg to you, and told him what to do. Because if not, you still wouldn't happen. Now God literally did it. Now one of the reasons why God came and did it in that era was because virginity, as far as his people were concerned, was still a prized commodity. In other words, he could find a lot of virgins. But he built Mary especially for that. And he built Mary to receive his son and to bring him into the world. He knew Mary would be faithful. He knew she was strong enough to take the blowback Mm, because there was blowback. She knew it. And, 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 and which is why when Jesus hit the planet and he started doing what he did, it was so phenomenal, so extraordinary, because they had to deal with the reality that this man had something supernatural going on inside of him. Now, they tried to say it was a devil, which is really unfortunate, because that means that God people were not having those no kinds of signs and wonders except by devils. That's a little bit unfortunate. So unmixed, God preserves. We don't have, we don't use the preservative of the world. So how would it look like um, to have to say that we have the preservative of the world, world that's keeping us? It would look like you making decisions because they keep you safe, making decisions to prevent your loss, denying God when it is risky to acknowledge Him, ignoring God's righteousness just for the sake of getting along, not speaking up, not defending the truth because well, see that is that means you are self-preserved and not God-preserved. Biblically pure. I think biblically pure is a very powerful statement because we have a whole lot of people just picking up Scripture out of context. I can't even tell you when I was coming up how much uh, I would listen to words in Scripture and I would just listen to them preach and then go back and read that in context, and it meant nothing, nothing, nothing like what they said. When they tell you to open your Bible, I'm going to give you a little safety tip. This is biblical safety. When they tell you to open your Bible, and you read, and they read to you from the Bible, and then they read, they pick out two words that they like and go on. You need to read on. Don't shut your Bible when they shut theirs. You read on. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. Because you will find out that they are using the words of God and not the word of God. So they're using the word in print and not the word that God inspired. And so when you lift the word, when you make the Bible nothing but a a, a huge vocabulary uh, tool, then you can make it do anything you want. But you read on and continue to read and continue to read because you shut your Bible when they shut their Bible. And the problem is, neither one of y'all know the rest of the story is. Read on, my saints. Biblically pure means we read it and then we study it. Remember, revelation is proven by research. The reason revelation is proven by research is because the word revelation comes from the word reveal. And reveal means to unveil or pull back veils, something that's there that's hidden. Veil actually means veil, so it is to unveil. So when when somebody says they have a revelation, they're pulling back the veil on something that's there that you can find. If, that, if somebody tells you they're giving you a revelation and you can't find it, that is not a revelation. That is a, that's a, literally an imagination. They want to wow you with the words up that sound knowledgeable, and they know you're not going to check it out. Oh, and I, I've had it strutting across the state. Yeah, you won't read this inscription, then don't talk to me about it. Because I brought you in to help me understand scripture. I came to you, spent all this money to understand scripture. So if you've got something that's outside of scripture, you need to wait till I get to work on Monday. You need to wait till I get out here when we stop talking scripture. Otherwise, in here, don't tell me you have a revelation I can't find. You realize that a professor can't give you an education you can't prove. A teacher can't give you a piece of information you can't prove. The only people I know that can give you stuff that you can't prove today is the media. They don't have to prove anything anymore. You remember they used to have to prove stuff? They don't have to prove anything anymore. They don't. They just say stuff. They're all frustrated preachers. And I'm telling you, that is not what you want. You come to God Revelation. If somebody says it's a Revelation, you need to expect them to bring you what they found when they pulled back that veil off that truth. I don't know. I just thought, What do you think? You think we should do that? How about that? Because you never ask people where they get the Revelation from. And if you did ask them because they don't have an answer, they do get mad at you for questioning them. That's why I go through the trouble of doing this. I know there are some people say, I don't need to know all of that. I don't need to know all of that, what a word mean and where it came from, that knowledge and carry on. If the word is supposed to spark faith, you want to make sure that I'm not sparking a false faith. You want to make sure I'm not giving you a flawed hope, that you will put your hope on things that will not sustain it. See, my understanding of why we do this is very different than many modern people, not all, because I know some powerful, powerful preachers. But I also know that you need the letter and the spirit. You need the letter to understand the spirit, and you need the spirit to let you know that what you understand is of the right, true, and living God. Can we say that? Because, see, there's a whole lot of spirits out there trying to educate you, a lot of spirits out there trying to teach you stuff. And there are many. Jesus is a very popular man. He's a very powerful guy. His reputation is crazy. And so he has a lot of people. Watching to be him, he struggles with envy all the time. People are envying him and vying with him for his position all the time. So you need to recognize that. He said, he said, there's gonna be a lot of Christ. Trust me, I'm going back home, guys. But there's gonna be a lot of Christ. Trust me, y'all gonna have. they're gonna say Christ over here and Christ over there and Jesus on the mountain, Jesus in the water, Jesus in, uh, Jesus in the cave, Jesus in the river, Jesus in the cloud, Jesus in the grave. We don't know. Jesus is showing up somewhere. Jesus anywhere you are. No, that's not true. Jesus is not everywhere you are. And so because he is in such such an enviable position, God of God, Lord of Lords, the man, who God who became flesh, the flesh that came back from the grave, the flesh that went into heaven and never died again. All right, that's scary. So you can't. what do you do with somebody like that other than envy them? If you can't worship him, you will envy him. The whole thing started with envy, which is why envy is a big deal in Scripture. So you need to make sure that when somebody tells you that they're giving you a revelation, don't say, wow, ooh, that's deep. Stop that. Make sure it is deep. I don't mind that you say that about me because I'm already dug deep. But I don't come to you if I don't dig deep. I have been doing this since 1983. 1983. I was learning in 82. 1983, I have never stood before these folks, and my people will tell you, those back in Jersey, those back from Jersey, my family will tell you, I don't stand before God's people. I don't know how much I know this without doing my research and my homework. You know why? Because I don't want your faith to be in vain, because I don't want you believing a vain thing. I don't want your hope to be frustrated and disappointed because you're hoping for God to do something that is not in his makeup, not in his character, not in his will, not in his intent. There are some times God wrote the scriptures, he said, I don't even know where you guys got this. I don't, that didn't even cross my mind. That's, I mean, none of that even came into my mind. Now, you're the mind of all minds, and none of this came in it. I'm really concerned. So I need you, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, But don't get so caught up in people using words that you haven't learned. Know the difference between unfamiliar and revelation. Know the difference between new information and revealed truth. You must know the difference. It is your soul on the line. It's your family's house and safety on the line. It's your whole future on the line. It's your afterlife that you are right now working on. So you need to know. And God has some perfect people. I've heard some powerful folks. That stuff is so good, I'm impressed, and I do get impressed sometimes. Not a whole lot, but sometimes. And I've heard some. But I'm telling you, you need to make sure people are not peddling their own discoveries as divine revelation. Just because it's news doesn't mean it's the good news. I like our culture-free. Culture-free, That's powerful. And that's a big teaching all by itself. My daughter did a, I don't even know what she did with it, but she did a powerful teaching on culture-crafted Christianity. It was scary, folks. I sat there and thought, hmm, wow, we're in trouble. And uh, she did it as as part of a presentation in one of our classes. But you need to find out how cultural-minded is your Christianity. How culturally assigned, culturally saturated, infiltrated, sprinkled is your – so a lot of, a lot of, for today a lot of Christianity is peppered with culture, and culture is other gods. So there we go. And then I like this one. So what are we talking about here? Scripturally organic Christianity. I coined that, Dr. Paula Price, scripturally organic Christianity. I just want you to know, I came up with it because I wanted you to understand where, how we can name it. Apostolic Christianity, true apostleship. I'm not talking about the kind of just, you know, yesterday I was an evangelist, a damn apostle. I'm not talking about, well, God just, you know, he took me off the road, so I guess I must be an apostle. Well, he took me out of my church, so I must be an apostle. Well, I'm tired of pastors, so I must be an apostle. That's not what I'm talking about. You have, and to me, I could, no, I'm not saying that. You have a right to ask people how to become an apostle. I do. So how did God make you an apostle? How did you become? Because the apostles did they, Everybody had to recount their apostleship conversion, the commission, the, and the confrontation with Jesus Christ. They had to come, recount that. When people start saying I'm an apostle, in the beginning I used to say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to hurt you. So I asked, so what made you an apostle? How did you become an apostle? You should know my people can tell you about me. Most of you all can. I've been telling the story for like, you know, since I began. Anyway, New Era Apostleship. After the start of Christianity, certified organic. We need a seal that says certified organic Christian. Certified organic Christian. That's what we need. You know, the, uh, the, the apostles, You Christians had to prove themselves. Nobody cared you, went to the church and Sniffed and snarled and cried. They didn't care. Those, are, those apostles interviewed everybody. They asked them, "Okay, so tell me. So how did Jesus move on you? You can't tell me what God did. I can tell you. I can't tell you what you're saying. I can't even tell you if what you're saying is true. But what I can tell you is how God does it. And He don't do it like that. See, we have to get back to the. Do you remember we used to talk about things like that? And I'm going to go somewhere with this tonight. So what is it? Let's look at organic. I made an acronym. You guys like acronyms. I like acronyms. They help you remember. So let's look at the acronym that I created for um, Certified Organic Christianity. Only real God-authenticated nourishment in Christ. Only real God-authenticated nourishment in Christ. God literally constructed apostles to be able to authenticate doctrine, to authenticate gospel, to authenticate scripture. That's when He put. That's why they that we exist. We existed because God knew that He was His Son was getting ready to bust up those pantheons and bust up those false religions and bust into that. Pagan stronghold with his righteousness, with his truth. The word of the Lord, as Isaiah had spoken so many years ago, and so many of those other prophets was finally coming to pass. So God said, but he knows his adversary. He said he knows his adversary is not going to go quietly into the night, not going to fade off into the sunset. Oh, well, I gave it a good shot that he didn't even build Satan to quit. You have to understand. Come on. He didn't build Satan to quit. He built built them to see if you would quit. The problem is you all keep thinking he's going to quit, which is why we have these silly religions, well, it's all over, the cross did it, the sword is down. Who in the world would think of that? Somebody who doesn't know God. He did not build Satan to quit. He built him to see when you would quit, where you would quit. He, was, he built him to, to sift the quitters out of his family. That's why in Revelation he talks about the cowardly being the first ones in the list of those going to hell because we obviously have people who cowardly when, they, when this thing started in heaven, and he, they joined the other side, and they became part of the adversary and the adversary's forces. You keep waiting for the devil to quit, and God is waiting for you to defeat him. He's waiting for you to impose the cross on him. He didn't build him to quit. He can't quit. Do you understand? There are generations he's got to deceive. Somebody hear this. Generations, the future has got to be deceived by the same devil you fighting the death. So you got that stupid preaching oh, come on somebody. I'm, I'm, I just want to hit something else I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> Kovac. You could do that with someone who's been with you almost 20 years. They get you. (laughs) But you understand. Do you all get what I just said? Get my point. You are acting like, oh, why are you getting me here? He is supposed to hit you to the point that you proved to be the superior one in the contest. And that could be five years or five decades or in the afterlife. But he didn't do, see, we are so busy being afraid, we don't understand that that's, they, they got a really ruler-to-ruler ruler thing. As a matter of fact, if I can say this, God is almighty. Now, I want you to hear, God is the almighty God. He, he created this all by himself. He did it first making it himself how he made himself, and then he went on to develop himself and evolve into whatever it is all that we see today. And then God looked around in the process and said, you know what, I don't have, I haven't done everything. I don't have, I don't have an adversary. I need to make me one of them. I made everything else. I'm going to make me an adversary. So then when I'm born. When I want to exercise myself, when I want to test the next thing I'm doing, next thing I bring in existence, I've got an adversary. To you, he's he's your to, to God, he's an adversary because he's he called that. But he's really a tester. He's like quality assurance for God. Hmm. Come on, saints, y'all phone with me. He's like quality assurance. You know, when he's done with you, you get that certified. Tried, proven, and successful. Certified. And when Satan certifies you as no longer a problem, you are certified. See, God knows from the beginning, God knew jokes. But in the end, it took Satan to say, Yeah, you're right, he ain't gonna curse you. Okay, I'm done. I found my best status, I'm done. You all are watching all of them supernatural, stupid supernatural movies and carrying off all of that little stupid stuff and getting, uh Oh uh, yeah, uh-uh. God is so good at what he does, he works with in his creation, sinlessly. Now, he can do all of that with his children. He can do all of that with, at will with his people, every one of them, their children, the children's children, because they have yet to receive the spirit of the living God. But when there is a Jesus that steps up in there, the rules change. And you no longer are his child, you become the child king over him. But then you still want to play with him because he's my friend. You know, he's my friend. He's not your friend. He is God's tester. And he has to do his job. God let him loose on the most, every high power god got, he let him loose on. Poor little David. Earth, Bathsheba, and then you would think David would learn, and then he turned around and he counsel, counsel people. His ego gets the best of him, counsel people, because Satan turned him, and then he got to see God cut up. But I want you to understand God made this devil do just what he's supposed to do. He created him from all of the things that God refused, all of the things that were destroyed to God, everything that God saw as, as threatening to his existence. Threatening to his self-preservation, you know, a, a risk, dangerous to his creature. All of that, he put it in one spot. And then when that devil, cut, that devil decided to be better than his God, he didn't know his only alternative was to take God's refuge. He took God's refuge, and that's how he became who he is. Oh, I wrote a book about it. Before the Garden, God eternal, continual. Wednesday Night Warriors, my daughter is teaching it on Wednesday night. She's having a blast. I'm having a blast. Hey, we're having a blast. You know, now I'm going to ask you a question. Isn't truth sweet? Truth really is sweet. And when people train you in truth, it makes you powerful. I'm not saying that you don't feel. You will feel. These nerves are real in our bodies. This flesh is real. But you've got to rise above the realness and step into the royalty of who you are. And when you step into your royal realm, you have full authority and you have full control. You must step into your royal realm. That's why we are kings and priests unto God. We're not going to be kings and priests. We're kings and priests now, but we're the little kids being tutored in the world. We're being tutored for our eternal royalty or realm in the world. But you've got to understand that if you're feasting on Satan's food, you are not going to defeat him. You can't. You cannot defeat him. How can Satan cast out Satan? You won't even want to. You'll feel good about, oh, man, I'm just, I'm so tired of what there. Man, I'm so tired of devils. devil. I'm tired of devils, huh? Oh, gee, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, I don't him anyhow. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to lay back and enjoy my Christianity. If I don't bother him, he won't bother me. You are so deceived. Bless your little heart. You're so deceived. Do you you know you realize that criminals don't look for people who are bothering them that's why they're criminals. they're criminals because they bother people who don't bother them. Is that right? because if they were if they literally came back at people who bothered them, then it would be self-defense and not a crime so. You are deceived just because you don't see the person who broke in your house that means it didn't steal your stuff. So here we go. You have got to get into your royal realm. And we'll talk about that. When I teach king and kingdom, those are the things I teach. You know, and I start by teaching king. If you are the offspring of Jesus Christ, you're the offspring of Godhead, then guess what? You are supposed to be in your royal realm, but you're going to have to fight because all kings, all royalty, all monarchs, all supers, all powers, war. If, not, if God's got to fight against this, you got to fight to get yours and to keep it. And we, mean, we trained you to thinking that you're going to get a rest on the surface. Honey, we are not in the season with a lion laying down with the lamb. That is not where we are right now. We're in the season where the lion is eating the lamb and the lamb is dinner. Amen. So organic, the new era of apostleship, organic Christianity, organically, born, grown, fed, bred. How is that? How is that? How do we get organically born? We're born again by the word of God. How do we grow? We grow by design, the sincere milk of the word that we will draw to grow thereby, and we get fed. We get fed by the the doctrines of Christ, the teachings, the whole counsel of God, the fivefold offices, and bread. God breathes us into His kind of being on earth. Moving on, apostleship nurture equals cures. Many people don't realize it, but apostles, really, when they are in God's word and they're doing this in God's way, they cure your, not more than your body. They cure your soul. And when your soul is cured enough, I promise you, your soul will change your body. So apostles, you know, they, apostles deliver organic Bible instructions because if, they, if they're saying in the word of God, you ought to be in your Bible every day. And not was somebody telling you, I know I know they said, there's a difference between an apostle's teaching and a theologian's teaching. They both may be smart, but one is going to tell you all of the things that are wrong or shouldn't be there or were misunderstood and misquoted or misinterpreted and misapplied. The apostle who has sat with Jesus because they have access to the king's royal office is going to tell you what the king had in mind and why that's in there and why God didn't take it out and how he's supposed to feed you with it. Remember, God didn't need the Bible to nourish you. He needed the Bible to educate you because the Holy Spirit will teach you. You, can, you. The Holy Spirit will feed you from God, but you, he'll feed your spirit, he'll touch your heart, and your mind will be like, well, what's going on? I have just, your intellect will be like, I don't know, what? i got strange feeling, i have this weird sensation, I'm having these weird dreams, on and on and on. You need the fivefold to take all that the Holy Ghost does inwardly to make it intelligent for you and thus useful. So apostleship delivers organic Bible education, the milk and meat of God's Word. Some apostles are sent, and, and apostolic leaders and ministers are sent for the milk, others the meat. You know, you can talk all day long about, well, you know, it doesn't make a difference, but I'm telling you, we don't have the book of the evangelist, nobody. We don't have the epistle of the evangelist, nobody. We don't have the epistle of the evangelist pastor. We have what we call the pastoral epistles. Paul uh, writes to Timothy and Titus. Those are still Paul's epistles. they still apostolic. They're still the apostle who did it. And that is why it is a, we are in trouble because mantles that deliver this doctrine to us, that deliver these revelations, that deliver these commandments to us has been suppressed, absent. And so now we're getting a third, fourth, fifth generation. If the apostles got it, all right, and the prophets been out, by the time we get to the evangelist, you got third generation revelation. By the time we get to the pastor, you got fourth generation revelation. And by the time you get to the teacher, you got fifth generation revelation. It's kind of like by that time, it's like, you know, Jesus came here and said, you have heard it was said by saints. Matthew 5, one of my favorite, favorite passages, what he taught me when he first raised me up, you have heard it was said, but I said. And now, you're, so you're operating on hearsay gospel. Well, we could read it. Yeah, you can read it, but if you haven't been trained by that, one of the things that made Luke powerful, and we don't even realize what Paul did in bringing Luke into his fold, but he made Luke powerful, Was Luke said, but I was trained by this man. Now, he was trained verbatim because he gave verbatim information. Now, I understand that during that time, in my research, that during that time, every great scholar and teacher had an accompanying scribe. Today, we have our phones, we have recorders. Back then, they had people who were able to write it down. Now, we can give credence to a person with a, with a photographic memory today, but we can't say God had that back then. So they could have had a photographic memory then. They could not have 100% memory recall then. But I'm thinking they would be smart enough to do that. Plus, those people feared God. They feared spiritual things, and they feared error. Today, we are okay with error. They were not okay with error back then. Back then, it was a problem. And if you were found to be erroneous, you lost your job, you lost your money, you lost your home, you lost credibility. You got It was very risky to be in error and be proven to be an error, and you were marked as a counterfeit. Because counterfeit speakers and teachers back then was a big deal. Okay, so we're coming to the end. So we talked about what I want you to remember out of all of this is apostolic Christianity comes from true apostleship, and it is always proving itself by delivering to you scripturally organic Christianity scripturally organic Christianity. So we're not telling you, yeah, well, I know, but that was then, but not now. Well, you know, yeah, they let people do that then, but they don't, yeah, no, but today is not a problem. Well, yeah, it was okay then for women to dress sleazy because, you know, now, it's okay today because we got the Word of God. If you have the Word of God, you have some clothes on. Because one thing the Word of God will do is clothe you. Not man of the devil. Jesus cast out his devil and came back down him dressed and made made a point knowing, letting you know he was naked and crazy and found him dressed and in his right mind. So God dresses everybody. The woman caught in that very act, Put some clothes on her. God will always clothe you. The only person who will unclothe you is Satan because he knows the vulnerability of nakedness. 121. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and super, 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 superfluity if you, I'm going to get it, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. You have, your soul cannot be saved without God's word. I don't care what they tell you, you will not, if you're not filled with the word, you can't get out of it, because it's the word that converts you. It's the word that, that that purges you. It's the word that changes you. That's why Satan wants you out of the word, because he knows the mandate. He knows that his testing says he gets to keep everything that's word-like. What do you say about the people who are, who who have those death beds and they don't get saved? Let me tell you something. Trust God. God will take your soul, but that's not what's going to rule in His world. So you have to understand that He has a place. There's a transition for Him to do that. God has babes. We think babes and Christians, are babes in, in heaven, are little tiny infants that were that God saved. That's not it, because there are a lot of small people or a lot of kids that are strong in Bible, strong in Scripture, and love Jesus Christ, and their spirits are bigger than they are. No, they, and with all them babies, also, all those Christ people who got saved, those are children of great God's mercy. But they have no, because remember, see of Christ comes as an embryo. So they still babes. And you see them toddling around, that, the eternity, forever, amen. You know, that's how they came in. Now, that doesn't mean that they aren't going to get stronger in what they are, So you, I got to get this point out. You don't want to think that it doesn't matter, but it matters. It matters the condition of your soul and the maturity God wants perfect. He kept saying his goal is a perfect man, a mature Christian, a mature saint. But He wishes that none should perish. And those little babies that y'all thinking in heaven, those are people who got saved on the deathbed. Those are people who got saved at the last minute. Hallelujah, and those are people who got Christ in them as a seed and not as a mature thing. Hey, I had a great time. I hope you did, and I hope you understand why we need to make a case for organic Christianity. Catch you on Thursday morning at the Paul Price show, 11 a.m. Central Time. Hey, pass this on and pass it on. If you're a pastor, teacher, trainer, educator, you need to pass this on. And by all means, you guys are inboxing me and not liking me. Like me on Facebook please like me. I want to like you. Like me. Let's like each other. God bless you. I'll see you on Thursday morning for the Paula Price show. Good night.